Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die podcast. Got 100 people a day dying of drug overdoses, and it's got to stop. Aloe Treatment Centers wants it to stop. We want people to get educated about drugs, about treatment. We want you to learn, laugh, and live. But first and foremost, don't die. Stop dying, get some help, you know, but the help's got to respond in a timely manner. So, <laughs> what does that mean? No, we talked. We talked last time about. I just think you need to talk about music and inspiring things. But, but, um, and so that's why I think th- we talk a little bit about music. Did we touch on Tom Petty? We didn't. Have we talked? Have we talked about Tom Petty, uh, Mike? Yeah, we've talked a little bit about Tom Petty. I, I think we did uh, the last time I was here. It was so sad. I'm still sad about it. I've been listening to a lot of Tom Petty once. When I get sad, I listen to the person I'm sad about the music. But after Prince died, I listened to nothing but I bought every Prince album on CD uh, uh, on eBay, like eight of them, just to just to saturate just to roll my, around roll in around yeah, like in my sadness. McDuck, but <laughs> and but but what was hard is my favorite Prince albums are like Dirty Mind, Controversy. Yeah. Those are hard to like be mournful when listening to. Like pretty happy, (laughs) yeah, they're really happy songs. Like a nice falsetto, you know. Yeah, but Tom Petty's songs are sad. I've been listening to the same song "Echo" when you can talk. You know, Echo. We were talking about Little Peep too. Yeah, Little um, Peep. And all like, if you listen to all of Little Peep songs, they're very sad. They are really sad. All of them. The the gym class is my favorite song, and I I just. It's so weird because I don't really know what happened in gym class, but it's between the two boys. I think I know. But <laughs> we'll I don't, never know but now. I, well, you'll never know now. But, yeah. uh, but so, so one of the things that has been with me all this time that I don't know, this, I'm always thinking about millennials and how we can improve how we deal with them and talk with them and inspire them and help them because there's 70% of the drug addicts that we deal with. And we love and, them. And, and I, I just have faith in them. I, I, I think I have faith in them, and I, I see so many other things fucking with them. I just want to, you know like when somebody faints and everybody gathers over them? What's the first thing the paramedics do? Get the fuck back, people. <laughs> That's how I feel like with the millennials. I feel like telling everybody, the schools, the fucking experts, the psychiatrists, the fucking doctors, the rehabs, back well, the fuck up. Parents first. But but I have a kinship with parents because I'm the parent of a millennial and I know the mistakes you make and I know how hard it is because you're you're because you're being told so much nonsense by experts. I really believe the experts in this country are idiots. They they just tell you all the wrong things. Oh, your son's mm-hmm. got bipolar disorder. Really? What what makes you think that? Well, he's you know, he's depressed and he's all over the place he's a, he takes cocaine and methamphetamine yes you know maybe that's got a little to do with why he's all over the place yeah, coming down off of coke <laughs> maybe, pretty depressing. maybe yeah, it's, it's hormonal pretty, my it's god pretty, pretty depressing but so anyways i i i noticed about 10 years ago how much they like hearing rock and roll stories they really do not yeah. romanticized dumb rock and roll stories but just about the re- music and things and the people I met that play music and that inspired me, like they don't even, here's the inter- interesting thing. I was telling a bunch of kids a couple years ago about how much, how profoundly Paul Westerberg inspired me and that I knew him and that I could talk to him, but really? he was like being around Bob Dylan to me, but it was a guy I could talk to and go do Coke with and drink with. It was, amazing the little things that he said to me that meant so much i remember one time i realized a song i had written um it's called happy it's a thelonious monster song called happy right um mike you know that song very yeah well, that's the lyric right yeah well that's yeah so I, wasn't, happy. I wasn't the greatest songwriter in 1984 <laughs> okay. the song says oh, i'm so oh, happy Happy. happy just to be your guy it just is happy over and over again. over and over but 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 it's when beautiful. you listen to the to the chords and the music it's exactly the chords exactly the tempo exactly the melody of if only you were lonely by the replacements right because mm. i was so 
I so love the replace. But when you're writing a song, you don't really notice because you're changing the words. <laughs> so, you know, it's in there, but That's you don't really know. That's the trick, know. is if I don't know that I stole it, then I didn't. So then, <laughs> so then I didn't realize that a fan told me, hey, have you ever noticed how much your song Happy is like, if only you were lonely by the replacements? And I was like, when he said that, I was like, holy fuck, it's exactly the same song. <laughs> You know what I mean? But I had not allowed myself to know those things, right? It so, so I saw Paul a couple of months, six months later, and I go, you know, I got something I got to talk to you about. And he goes, yeah, what? And I said, have you gotten the Thelonious Monster record? And he goes, yeah, 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 it's pretty good. Pretty good. That meant a lot to me. It meant I have more improving to do. He didn't say it's great. He said it's pretty good. He should know because okay. he's great. He didn't lie to me. He didn't mislead me. He didn't discourage me. He didn't say it's shit. And he didn't say it's great. He said, it's pretty good. Yeah, right. it's pretty good. That's an honest thing to say. When you know you were so important to somebody and that they hang on your every word, there's a responsibility in being that person. Right. And Paul Westerberg knew his responsibility to other up-and-coming songwriters and bands. I know he did. Because he'd always spend time talking about songs. So I tell him, he goes, he goes don't feel, uh, I, I didn't notice. I don't, I don't know what song that is, but don't, don't worry about it. He goes, if you really want to know something, Listen to, um, and he told me one of his songs. I forget what the name of it is now. And he and and Hard Luck Woman by Kiss. It's the same song. <laughs> and I I, I always remember is, that. Is it Rock and Roll Ghost and Hard Luck Woman? Hard Luck. There's a there's a replacement dun, song dun, that's exactly dun. Hard Luck Woman. Baby, till you find your man. Look rock, and roll, rock and Roll <laughs> Ghost. Uh, no, this is way earlier. Oh, this is like Let It Be Tim era. Okay. So so. I tell these kids that. Now, they don't know who the replacements are. They never heard of them. They never heard of Paul Westerberg. They, they know Little Peep and the Kardashians, right? But when you <laughs> okay. tell a story yeah. about somebody you idolize and look up to and, and, and you tell it in the right way, they get it. Millennials get it. They understand that. So it doesn't really matter. So then I said... You know, you all know who Kurt Cobain is, right? And and they said, yeah, well, of course, Nirvana, right? Some of them don't, but most of them do. And I said, the first time I heard Nirvana, I said, this guy, Kurt, loves the replacements. I could tell it. And, and it came about that he did not only like the replacements, but Thelonious and Meat Puppets and a lot of bands from 85, 86, 87. Hmm. And, and I, I just heard the replacements in Nirvana. That's how profound Paul's influence was on that whole generation of 80s musicians, right? And that, that you can tell a story that matters to millennials in 2017 about something that happened in 1986, and they don't know any of the people that you're talking about, but they know what that is. And that's what I think is so great about music is that... that not that you like it or don't like it, is how it influences and how it inspires others. That's the greatest thing about music. You know, there's a great story about the Velvet Underground record, only sold 2,000 records in the United States, and all of those 2,000 people formed a band. One of them was called <laughs> REM, one of them was called Suicide, one of them was called The Ramones, one of them was called Blondie, you know what I mean? Right. One was called The Talking Heads, right. you know what I mean? One was called Patti Smith. Think about the profundity of the Velvet Underground, inspiring all that art and all that music and all that influence and all that culture. A band who was a miserable failure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Singer can't sing. And, and, and I loved it. And you can correlate. And then fast forward to, you know, it's it kind of a boring concert. I watch it on HBO. But, but Metallica backing Lou Reed doing... Velvet Underground at Madison Square Garden 50 years later. That's right. how profound that record is. I didn't see that. A band that wasn't even, the people in Metallica weren't even born when Velvet Underground <laughs> album came out. Think about that. And so that's what I think this is inspiring about music. It's just like when Mike came into Thelonious Monster, he had a great knowledge of blues music, which I kind of did from Top Jimmy, but, but Mike would come up Every couple of weeks, so you ever heard Max Linscombe and he'd start playing some old blues song? Or Jeffrey Lee Pierce is another great influence on us. I, I often think, you know, J 
Jeffrey Lee Pierce, to me, was the Towns Van Zant of the Los Angeles music scene. Yeah, Jeffrey introduced me to a lot of that. Stuff. Yeah, he's he he was a great fountain of information and inspiration, right? So we end up, Mike comes up with this idea to do this old Blind Lemon Jefferson song, punk rock. It's still the one song is associated with Thelonious Monster, See That My Grave Is Kept Clean, right? Okay. And 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 I just believe that music <clears throat> is so inspiring that music could save this generation if it wasn't so shit. So it comes up to the Grammys the other night. Uh, like, what was that? I couldn't even watch it. It was so fucking meaningless and boring. Dude, the halftime show was better with Justin Timberlake was better just than the, the Just the Prince part. I mean, I I like I'm bringing sexy back, but I don't like I don't like that they mix all. You know, he he only has a handful of songs I really know, but right. and he did them all, <laughs> and then some. Yeah, but 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 the Grammys like what is that music? What is it? We're going through. A, a, a time when young people are dying like flies from an opioid crisis that has never been seen in the history of civilization. We're at war still for, I believe, the, uh, the 15th year. We're at war. We've been at war for 15 years. Our brothers and sisters in this country have been coming out with their limbs blown off and losing their lives and losing their minds in a war that nobody even pays attention to. Nobody even, there's no music about it. What music is about the war, right? What music is about the opiate epidemic? What music is about what's going on in the streets? What music is about, this is all meaningless, fucking nothing, bubblegum music. So you've got to inspire young people to go beyond that. Stop listening to that, right? You've got to stop worrying what Beyonce says about something. It has nothing to do with your life. Your life is unemployment, drug addiction, facing death at 22. Who's singing about that? Unfortunately, the people singing about it are like Tyler, the creator, and Little Peep. And, like, and right? Lil Yachty. <laughs> Lil Yachty, I'm going to see on March 17th or 18th. I are, think. are you going to the, yeah. the music thing? Yeah. I, I You know what? My, the guy in my- I'm going to see two bands, and here's <laughs> uh, my friend Bill does that show, and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? The two things I want to see are fear on Friday night. So I got to go in traffic mm-hmm. to fucking get down there at seven or eight o'clock or whatever time fear plays. Then uh, little Yachty on Sunday. So then I got to drive back or I got to, what the fuck? Like, why can't little Yachty and fear be on the same Because <laughs> Those are going to be such <laughs> different crowds. You know, you're going to be safer at the fear show <laughs> because that's going to be, that's going to be a 50 and above show. Is that a fifty it, and above it, show? That's, that's Descendants and Fear and and who else? I forget who the headliner is. It's Descendants, I, I believe. Oh, Descendants, yeah. They're good. They're I, I think they're they're a solid band. I like what they do. Yeah, they're, they're their good. drummer's insane. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I this is another thing that I never wanted to tell you, Chuck, because I know how much you admire the punk rock. I'm not a big fan of the punk rock. <laughs> Mike knows this. You know Mike is not either. That's fine. Mike, come I know, on, where, chime I, know where, in. I know where Mike's influences are. Chime in. Like the one uh, uh, Descendant song I like is Okie Dog. I had that that seven inch, right? Okay. Where they but, just ordered Okie Dog. No, ordered Derwinerson. Derwinerson, But I never was a big Black Flag. Never, you know, I like. Descendants I liked, are way more like power pop than. Well, but I mean, all the bands you guys talk about, I I respect hard work. So a band like Offspring, I know, worked hard to get where they got. I respect the adolescents. They worked hard. They work hard. They go. They play. They work hard. Um, You know, but there's very few punk rock bands that I really go see. Fear is one of them. You know what I mean? I went and saw the Germs reunion with the singer from the movie. Like I left after four Aww. songs. I mean, I lo- I wanted to like it, but <laughs> but punk rock was never a thing for me. It was it was I was like a art. Can you say fag? A art fag rocker. I don't know what? if you can say that. You can't say it anymore. But you used to be able to say it in 1980. So art like fag. 77, 78, 79. Those are my uh, you know suburban lawns the clash x um the plugs uh those albums are the ones that i like tom petty and the heartbreakers i thought was punk rock when it came out in 1970 yeah 77 even damn the torpedoes was like 
it was not a rock and I'm roll. Talking about the first two albums, the the but the first the one, one for sure seemed like punk rock. I love Elvis Costello, so I was like, I never was a beach punker that was going to you know see punk bands that much, right? I went to New Cuckoo's Nest because girls were there and booze was there and Black Beauties were there. You know what I mean? But I much preferred seeing the Fabulous Poodles over like RKL or something. Hmm. <laughs> the Fabulous Poodles? <laughs> what the hell is the Fabulous You didn't know the Fabulous Poodles? I don't know I the Poodles. I know who the Fabulous Poodles are. I just can't believe you brought them up. I, well, I saw them at the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, my God. I saw I saw the Vapors at the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, Tony Japanese. I, I think I, I'm Tony Japanese. I like them. I, I like what they did. So Jerry Roach was really... You know, he'd get those bands like Fabulous Poodles, the 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 uh, the one I just mentioned, the Vapors. Turning Jet Vapors. Um, trying to think of 2020. 2020 was a great, great band. Yeah. yeah. But as far as like going to see adolescents, uh, uh, all those types of beach, I just equate it to Redondo Beach. The Redondo Beach bands, I didn't really go see them all that much, right? And and so. I, I'll go, and if they're playing, if, you know, like I went to that thing out in the, uh, whatever, I've gone to the Warp Tour a bunch of times, because either my son, sons want to go, or, I mean, I'll see stuff, but after about four songs, I walk away, it's about all you need to see, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I like seeing um, Natalie Merchant, I like seeing Aztec Camera, I like Roddy Frame and what he does, I love the church, I don't miss the church when they come around. They're one of my favorites. Well, of the all guy time. plays by himself too, right? Steve heard, Gilby. Yeah, yeah, he does some solo yeah. stuff. So, so, it, it, and the point being, that was an interesting time, seventy-seven to like eighty-three. Mm-hmm. There was no, there was no, like genres. There was just it was like alternative punk rock, and I knew that the punk rock was harder and scarier, and the audience was weirder. And then eventually, by, by, by even by 1980, 81, it's pretty set in stone what punk rock sounds like. And it's pretty boring. And it's been 35 years of it being... I mean, Greg Ginn invented it in Lawndale in 1976 on Nervous Breakdown. I mean, has anybody ever evolved from that? It, it hasn't really changed. The tempo's the same. The bar chords are the same. The melodic singing, talking is the same. You know what I mean? Well, isn't that what makes a genre of music? I mean, reggae is kind of reggae. But to me, punk rock was bigger than that. It involved the, uh, the Vapors and uh, Tom Petty. And it was a revolution of music. Right. It was not R- Rick Wakeman, you know, doing an ice ballet okay. on the eight king, you know, wives of Henry VIII or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> It was not Fleetwood Mac Tusk. You know, it was not the shit music that was being made in 75, 76, 77, 78. Even In Through the Outdoors, a pretty weak album. And that, I mean, of Led Zeppelin, I mean, it's still a pretty good record, but it's not physical graffiti. So you're talking about 77, 78, 79. The dinosaurs are just starting to be so boring that the revolution was all this new music and all this new sounding music and this old sounding music, right? When I heard, the first Ramon song I heard was Needles and Pens. That's a song from the 50s. It's a Sonny Bono song, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, they had a, a, a seven-inch single. Ramones had Needles and Pins and Rockaway Beach on it, right? And I heard, I, you know, I like the Needles and Pins. Needles and Pins. <laughs> right? <laughs> With Joey Ramone singing, I was just like, this is cool, like, this is bringing back the 50s, and, and, and that time Sid Vicious was singing uh, Come On, Everybody. You know what yeah, I mean? And so rockabilly doing... and, and, and yeah. punk rock and all these music. It was all a reaction to the shit of 1975 and 76 and 77. It really was a reaction. Like, we're not going to listen to that. <clears throat> My point being, we need the young people now to say, this is shit. Imagine Dragons is shit. Fucking, this is pink as shit. You know what I mean? I, know, I Fuck like this her. shit. <laughs> I like her. She's good it's sing. Whatever. Soaking <laughs> my niece. You know what I mean? <laughs> she should be saying something about the Me Too movement. She should be saying something. She should not just giving press things. Her music should be about it. What yeah. happened to your music being about what you were about and representative of what you thought? 
Now let's just get up eight producers that are hip as coolest guys that smoke weed, make a hit song that's about nothing, and then I'll be an outspoken advocate for this organization or that organization. No, your music should represent that. But there, there's something going on so much deeper than that in the music business when you see how many people are credited for writing and producing a song. When you've got a list of 20 people that wrote it's just and or produced just the song. But, 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 but here's the thing. So how, have you ever tried to write one of those songs? Because me and Flea did try to write them. About, about 15 years ago, when NSYNC and Backstreet Boys were big, me and Flea had this idea like, let's, let's cast a boy band and me and you write the song. So write just like some fluff. Pop, happy, fluff. up, fluffy. They're really hard to write. To write Happy <laughs> by Pharrell is a fucking really, it's a really hard song to write. So they seem to do it by committee. There are some people that do, can do it excellently, like uh, Linda Perry seems to be able to do it excellently. Um, usually it's teams of people. And what I think they do, and I, I'm just guessing being a songwriter and then seeing the shit product they produce, it's, it's lowest common denominator, right? So we're going to create a song that appeals to the most amount of people, 40-year-old uh, Ugg-wearing moms and 8-year-olds. We want the song to appeal to that, that widespread of demographic. So you can't really have too much in the song that would alienate the 40-year-old moms or, or alienate the 8-year-olds. It's lowest common denominator songwriting, right? And it's got to be catchy, and it's got to be not threatening, and it's got to be not challenging to listen to. So when mm. to create the pop hits of today, it it's a it's rarefied air talent to be able to do it. I respect it. I just don't. I think it's 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 shocking to me that more artists don't say fuck that. I'm gonna say what I got to say. Like Ryan Adams, love him or hate him, he talks about what he wants to talk about. Ryan, not Brian, right? Ryan Adams. R Ryan, Ryan. Ryan Adams like makes like two albums a year. Yeah. And no, I, have a, I had a, my, my brother-in-law made me a bunch of Ryan Adams discs and I was like, uh, not interested. And then I started listening just because I, you know, set aside prejudice and just listen. Why would he have this much stuff? And I was blown away by the depth. And he, he's a very consistent songwriter. You know, he, here's the thing. He doesn't write many bad songs, right? And he doesn't write many good songs. But he writes a hundred in a year, pretty solid songs. No, yeah, right? I would say so. And I think, sure. I think there's a kid named Bright Eyes that no one ever remembers anymore. He's that kind of a songwriter. Connor, Connor Oberst. Connor Oberst, yeah, yeah. He's saying, he said some shit about Bush W that was mm -hmm. that what I'm talking about. Like, let's get some fucking thought going in the music. No, that, right? that guy, that kid, for a youngster especially. But that's, that's who used to do it. Roddy Frame wrote his best stuff when he was 19 because he was thinking and he was ballsy and he was just out, out there, and, but he was involved. Uh, Chuck yeah. passed away and I listened to We Care A Lot and I played it for Chrissy because she had never heard it and stuff. And so I was listening to We Care A Lot and I read the lyrics. Lyrics are fucking pretty profound. We care a lot about the and LAPD. We care mm -hmm. a lot about everybody. It's a very inclusive song, yet it's very angry. Very sarcastic. Mm -hmm. That's a fucking, that's a beautiful, we need the we care a lot of right now. You know what I mean? It, it, that type of songwriting. And I, I just don't see the Grammys are so, it's so nothing. I was just shocked by what nothingness it is. It was like four hours of nothingness. Right? Right. I, it, yeah. I, I think I recorded it so I could skip through it. <laughs> Because that's just too long. <laughs> how to much do. did you stop through and watch? Uh, it was crazy how little I think I ended up watching that. I, I was just like, you know what, honey, if you want to watch that, you go ahead, but I'm going to record it and do it the way. I almost did, I almost did the football like that because I really wasn't that interested. Yeah, I just think you lay it on the line. Lay it out you know, there. I, I, was, I watched uh, Mark Maron's thing that's on Netflix right now. I, your friend, you know him, right? I know him, yeah. I, I don't know him, and he just fuck, he blew me away with how spot on he was with this stand-up. It just, it was so funny. He talked about Petty at the beginning, about how, <laughs> and he was going, you know what, I'm I'm of the age where it's just like, eh, you know, I don't know if I want to die doing this, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah. My life's too short to spend three hours watching he's something. He's one of, you know, and he's also a courageous guy. He's the one that said, you know, I don't know about this cru crucifying Louis. What he did was wrong. 
But I don't know that we should off with his head and he should never perform ever again. Right? right. That took a lot of courage to say that in this mob mentality world that we live in. Uh-oh. Just I that look, makes I'm him looking a target. for courage. Right. I'm looking for courage. That right? makes him a target. And so it takes courage to to stand up and say, you know what? I, I you know, like Eminem said, listen, you can't like Trump and like me. So if you're a person who likes my music and but you like Trump, you need to stop listening to my music. He said that. That takes courage. He said, I don't care if I lose half my audience. I don't give a fuck. I don't, they don't deserve to listen to my music. That's a fucking, that's a pretty courageous statement. I don't know that Jay-Z is willing to make that statement. I don't know that, mm-hmm. that uh, Dr. Dre is willing to make that statement, that whether they disagree with some political followings of their followers. I don't think they would do that. I think it's, it's we're, we're compromising too much and we're compromising our young people. They have nothing to model after. You know, they, there's, there's no there there, right? I can tell you that I would not be the person I, w- I am have it not been for Paul Westerberg, Joe Strummer, uh, uh, to a certain extent, Henry Rollins. I hate to admit it, but it's true. Um, I, Everybody I, gives him such a bad rap. He did a good job. He was an insp- inspiration. Because you know what he showed me right in my face? Hard fucking work. Hard work. Get in the fucking van. Stop whining. Right? When Thelonious, I, I, I have the paperwork. Mike doesn't remember it, I'm sure. No, but, I don't. But I pride myself on, I pride myself in 1991, Thelonious Monster played 86 shows in 93 days. That was completely inspired by Black Flag and Henry Rollins. Completely. Like, let's hmm. just fucking go. Fuck it. And we didn't used to play for only like 45 minutes. We played for two hours. Think about that. 86 shows, 100 and whatever, 100 and 200 hours of playing in a month and three days. That's a lot. And traveling 400 miles in between. It was only because of Black Flag. Because I knew they're doing twice that. Twice that. Right? So there were inspirational people in my young adulthood that I could look, that were doing things, that were courageous, that were outrageous, that were unbelievable. And I look at 20-somethings now, who's doing that for them? Who's inspiring them? The people that we saw in the Grammys? I hope not. They're not. So so it's doubly, (laughs) triply, quadruply, so tragic and sad that Little Peep died because he was one that was doing it. There's another rapper um i forget his name from brooklyn who has a song called i want to die like a rock star you ever heard that song hmm. it's a, no. uh, something i forget his name mike if you could look that up we should end this episode i want to die like a rock star because here's a a kid from the inner city who's who's you know obviously saturated in a hip-hop culture and he's wise enough to know everything culturally that's going on in the white culture too and in the world around him. That's the that's the the kind of synthesizers that Brian Wilson was and and David Bowie was and that great artists were. They weren't just talking to their people, they were talking to everybody. You know what I mean? And so so I I want to look and I want to hear from people what are some inspirational artists that are going on? Because I didn't see any on Sunday's Grammy contest. Uh, I didn't see any inspirational artists there. Not one. Not one. No, no. But I, I don't. I don't know. You know, that's right. That's the entertainment. That's those are the those are the easy ones. Those are the mass. You know what you're talking about. That's the mass consumption bands. No, your buddies won the album of the year ten years ago. Offspring won album of the year. Chili Peppers won album of the year. That's who used to win the album of the year. Huh. I guess I should have paid more attention back then. But it used to be, you know. Like bands? It used to be people saying something. And now it's people saying nothing. Right? It's fame for fame's sake. It's celebrity for celebrity's sake. It's the most money. Make the most money. And, it, and, it, and yeah, it's great for the individual, I guess. Right? It's safe. You don't have to say anything that's going to cost you anything. Right? Yeah, I, you're not going to alienate. You're not going to get a mob coming after you. But 
there is a whole generation of young people that need inspiration. And what can they be inspired by? Right. No, I, I saw that. Did you see that little the little guy with Lil Uzi Vert? Yeah. Did you see the interview with him where it was supposedly the interview of the the night and it was on his way into the, the Grammys and I had no idea they 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 show him and they the lady asked him you know what's going on with you uh, you said something about uh, over thirty being people that are over thirty are irrelevant and he goes how old are you and she goes I'm not thirty yet and he goes good <laughs> and she said something else like well what are you gonna do tomorrow and he goes eat pop tarts and I go, you know, I didn't. That, I didn't know if I wanted to hate him or go. No, There's my that's boy. The guy. There's my boy. That's the guy I'm talking about. <laughs> that, that's Lil Yachty. That's him. That's Lil Uzi Vert. That's there's a there's a there's a whole like bunch of him that like one of the guys I do music with was talking about going. Man, you got to check this shit out because they're gangly, scrappy little know nothings talking. To me. He goes, it's punk rock all over again. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> but 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 it needs to go beyond. And, and they and go. Somebody and they make to- gun sounds. They go. Pew, pew. When they they make fake gun sounds with their mouths when they're rapping, they're the best. <laughs> wow, well, I don't know about that, but but rock and roll can be that. What happened to rock and roll? What happened to guitars and banging out three chords in the truth? What happened to that? Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm we got to get that singer songwriter. What happened to Lilith Fair? What happened to like they had a, a big women's movement thing here last week in girls' school? I always feel not invited to things like that. Yeah. Um, but I read about it and it was well, like literally you got, you got the rape kit. Yeah, it's you literally can't have the rape kit. it's literally artists from the nineties. Like there was, you know, the, they talked a little bit about, but basically it was Shirley Manson, Fiona Apple, right? Who Fiona Apple who I love and and Garbage's first album which I love and but I mean, where are the people of where are the Shirley Mansons and Fiona Apples of right now? That's who should be playing. And let's talk mm. about them and celebrate them and let's get them up being talked about and encouraged and supported so they can do even better work, right? Right. And, and I, just, I just think we need to take the reins back and say, you know, I, I expect more. I expect more from the musicians in America than lowest common denominator, don't be too controversial, don't cause too much trouble, uh, be scared of the mob, don't say anything outside the norm. You don't want to alienate anybody. You want to include everybody. When you when you make music to include everybody, it's meaningless. You make music to to talk about your truth. And then whoever likes it or doesn't like it, you're almost not in the equation. You said what you think, right? You know what I mean? The Clash said what they think. The Sex Pistols said what they think. Bob Dylan said what he thinks. John Lennon said what he thinks. David mm-hmm. Bowie said what he thinks. Agree or disagree, and, it's there. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. what they think. Lou Reed, Lou Reed you. said what he think and uh, thought and experienced and believed. And and artists that do that need to be celebrated, encouraged, and I'll go see artists like that. Artists who are imitating other genres, I'm not interested in. Like, then that gets into the punk rock community. I'm not interested in a band that sounds just like The Descendants. I mean or bad religion. I'm not interested in that. That, that, you know, try to be a little more inventive and try to say <laughs> something a little more than what was said in 1980, right? Yeah. I hate my mom. I remember there was a song by a band, uh, Why Is My Car In The Front Lawn? What Lit. Band? Lit, right? And I remember hearing that song and thinking, does he really not know? <laughs> He's got alcoholism. Does he lack insight? <laughs> Should somebody wise him up? I, I thought that was a really good Weezer song. <laughs> yeah. I said, wow, that's that's pretty good Weezer song that that other band's playing. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really hard thing to write a song that includes your stupidity and your insight. You know what I mean? And, and I felt like that, and I think Cage the Elephant's a little like that. It's just celebrating stupidity. You know what I mean? Cage the Elephant, there's something about them. I didn't, he's trying. I didn't want to like him. He's definitely trying, the kid, the singer, the song, lyricist. He's trying to get people to think. Yeah, but they, they covered Reckless Eric, and you got to do it better than they did. They did The Whole Wide World by Reckless Eric. Yeah, well, that, that used to be Elvis's favorite song when he was four. Now I can't, I can't even remember it. Yeah, but I mean, but Rec, if you're going to do it, come on. 
I get it. Maybe maybe they did it as a tribute too. But if if you're gonna anyway, neither here nor there. The last artist that I remember really thinking, oh my god, this is just like just like the great ones was Eminem. To be honest with you, I, I, maybe you were not a fan, but when he was was he knew what he was getting into with that second record, the Marshall Mathers. He knew what he was saying. He knew he was going to get crucified. And yet he just went there anyways. That, that was artistry to me. And I hadn't seen it since Kurt Cobain wrote Rape Me. You're talking about the most successful musician in the world. His next album, he makes a song called Rape Me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's a John Lennon. That's Bob Dylan. That's 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 rarefied air. Somebody willing to risk it all and to to challenge their audience and challenge themselves. And the last person I remember doing that is Eminem. I don't I don't Which know Which songs the are, last... are those? Stan is on okay. that. Okay. Is that is, um, that is that the one I don't like my mom, the cleaning out the closet yes. song? The real um because the first one was kind of comical and Beastie Boys-ish, mm-hmm. right? The, and that brought him on to the Real scene. slim, shady stuff. Yeah. And then, whoa. I, I remember hearing one of those songs off that album go, that's not cool. And when I <laughs> am made to feel uncomfortable <laughs> about what somebody is saying, not doing, saying, like he wants to kill his mother or whatever. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, dude, come on. You know, let me, t- let me take you back to 1987 to an album that I remember listening to it and feeling like what I'm doing might be illegal. And that was NWA straight out of Compton. Okay, yeah. Music that revolutionary. There hasn't been any music like that. You know, and whether I like Eminem or not is, is beyond the point because there are youngsters today in rehab talking about how great Eminem was to them when and, they were and 12 how, years old and how these mumble mouth rappers these days could learn a lot from him and it's just like he's being held up the same way he's they, they're, that's they're, what I'm that's, talking about there's Dylan. a lineage it's there's Dylan. a lineage it goes directly from Bob Dylan to the Beatles to David Bowie to Lou Reed to to the Sex Pistols and the Clash and Public Enemy and NWA to Nirvana, to Eminem, and it just seems to stop. How did, how did Nirvana have such a wide appeal? Because he was saying what we all felt. I remember the first time I heard Teen Spirit. I don't know about Mike. Like uh, All those it, bands you mentioned were not, like, record companies left them alone. Like, that's why the Beatles were so great, because the record companies left them alone. Nobody could, nobody's, tell, nobody's, nobody could tell Eminem to not do that. The record company could not tell him, don't do that. So uh, what? who's telling artists, so you believe that record companies... Well, you're talk, we started talking about the Grammys. So it's this Grammy sort of mentality, this like, you know, we're run by universal music. Yes. You know, we are being told what to do and what is good by universal well, music. Well, I'll, I'll and know you one better. And as soon I... as a band starts to kowtow to that sort of mentality, they get crappy. But but I don't think they ever get good to begin with. That's my point. I, I don't even think it's the record companies. I think it's Live Nation and AEG. I think you... No, because musicians don't make money off records. They make money off of playing live. Sure. And so you need to have access to the most amount of people live. Like people like Logan Paul and people like that, they, they have number one albums. They don't even need to have a record company. They've got YouTube. You know what I mean? So... So, but they need to play live to make millions of dollars. And and so somehow they use the machine. And and if you're trying to play, you know, for 25,000 people at the Enorma Dome everywhere, you got to have lowest common denominator. You can't be too controversial. You don't want mom groups against you. You don't want the Black Lives Matter against you. You don't want the Me Too movement against you. So nobody says anything to be to have access to the most success for themselves personally. And I'm saying those artists that I just mentioned had those things available, right? You don't think that NWA Mike was pressured to not have fuck the police on the album? 
No, I think they could do whatever they want. Nah, I think somebody said, listen, this so. is great. Let's hold fuck the police back. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I wish did, I could be a fly on that wall did, for real. If they were probably thrown out of the studio. <laughs> yeah, but, but no, but I think that, that yeah, eventually Easy e had to say, you know, what's funny is history has been rewritten because Dr. Dre is the one who survived and now he can tell the history of it. It was Easy es band, right? He's the one, now you, now you can say, and then Ice Cube left because Jerry Heller ripped him off. That's true. But who made the Straight Outta Compton record was Easy e Yeah. Well, that makes sense because he's the one that imploded. You know, if you... <laughs> he's the one that sold out to Jerry Heller. <laughs> he's, he's the one that, I mean, and his whole world imploded and he's not here to defend himself. And usually, you know, second mouse gets the cheese. Yeah. That's your Dr. Dre but, and your... But you don't, but, uh, you know... You don't think that Kurt Cobain got a bunch of pressure from Geffen to not put Rape Me on the on the album? I don't think he listened. Yeah, he said, fuck you. Exactly. That takes courage. That's what I'm saying. Artists who are great have courage. Well, getting Steve Albini to, I mean, and the original mixes of that stuff are so much better. The In Utero record that Steve Albini makes. I think it's managers. I understand what you're saying. It's managers, agents, and the machine, let's call it. Let's not specific it to record companies because record companies really don't have the power they used to. But definitely the machine does. And the machine says, lowest common denominator, no controversy. So how can there be inspiring music for this generation of millennials? If it, and the only world that it comes from, and we've mentioned it time and time again, is hip-hop and underground music. Right, mm -hmm. but but that music, I mean, it's more. It's a weird disconnect because the kids listening to that music aren't living that life and don't have those problems. So it's almost a voyeuristic kind of looking into the problems of Chicago or the problems of the inner city by people who live in the suburbs. Kurt Cobain was from the suburbs, talking about the suburbs mm -hmm. to the suburbs. Right. No, yeah, I. I Right, I connect. I connected with it, and I prided myself on being an off the charts kind of guy. And it didn't. It didn't bother me that they were famous. I just. I just. I just. I just hope some inspirational music comes along here in the next two or three or four or five years, before it's too late. Right, because because somehow music reflects the culture and directs the culture. Right. Right now, you're right, Mike. We have corporate America directing the culture and it's reflecting nothing of what the culture is because that would be hurting the bottom line, right? So are the Neptunes, is Pharrell really going to say anything about Black Lives Matter? Not really. Is Common really going to say anything about Black Lives Matter? Not really. Not if it's going to cost him white audience. Not really. And it's obvious in the shit music they produce. Right. <laughs> it's true. Right. There are no courageous artists that are stepping up going, you know what? Fuck all y'all. That's what Ice Cube did. Not only was he fucking under his best friends and had to go live in New York worried that he's going to get murdered, he also <laughs> said, fuck all y'all. <laughs> that was badass. The first end of my Ice Cube record, America's Most Wanted, it opens with, fuck okay. all y'all. Right. My, meaning NWA and people that like them and and everybody. That I mean, the Ice Cube was a courageous motherfucker. Now look at him; he's in like little kid. Movies. Are we there yet? Yeah, he is. He's in Disney yet? movies. Well, you know, but that, that's okay. You know, that's that's probably like he he served. <clears throat> he served honorably. He there's <clears throat> right. nothing can be expected from him. But where is the next him? Right. Well, you know, and that's the thing is that it can't be. It can't be someone like me. You know, you talk about revolutionary music coming or some big change. It seems like I've almost learned too much at this point to be able to come up with something that spontaneous. But I, I think we should give the kids a break is what I'm saying. They have nothing inspiring them. You know, there's nothing inspiring about pink or hanging off a building or there's nothing inspiring about this theatrical <laughs> there's, bullshit. There's not, there's this not a, theatrical maybe I can do that. bullshit that's shoved down the gullets of American kids. You know, there's nothing. If you look at Justin Timberlake, where did he come from? From the Disney, Disney yeah. channel. He did, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
But name any artists that are inspiring to you, I Mike. I listen to different stuff. I listen to Chris Stapleton. I'm totally into Chris Stapleton's music right now. Just country shit. I know, but it, so he's speaking that that, and that brings up a whole genre of of songwriters that that are excellent. But they're speaking to echo chambers, right? Much like our culture. So one who speaks to me is Father John Misty. I love the guy. I fucking love him. Right. I'd blow him. That's how much I fucking wow. love him. Well, there's the gay art thing. <laughs> <laughs> but. But Chris Just, Stapleton's not speaking to me. I'm not, I'm not, I, it doesn't speak to me. I try to like him. I've gotten both of his albums. It's just, yeah, I it can see that. I mean, it doesn't me. speak to everybody. I just, I just dig, I just, that's what I'm listening to. But now. you know what I'm so. saying? So, so, and I believe he's making his songs with his echo chamber listeners in mind, right? So he's not going to say anything too threatening. I see it. I see. I see people edit themselves in their songwriting when I'm listening. To well, it. now I don't really think he thinks about it that much. I think he just does what he does. I think he probably has an opinion on Black Lives Matters, Mike. I I dare to say probably. I think Mr. Stapleton has an opinion about it, but he's not going to voice it. Towns spoke out about whatever he thought, but he said what he thought. Steve Earl says what he thinks. He says what he believes. Songwriters have a tradition in America for a hundred years of saying the righteous and what they believe. And what you have from the country music community is the same thing you have from the pop community. They say a lot of nothing. They don't really have any opinions about nothing. No, a lot of them are just songwriters. Yes, you're right. But, but, but they're not writing, uh, you know, uh, I want to kill my mother or whatever <laughs> no, you were talking about. <laughs> no, no, let's, let's, okay, so no, don't want to kill but, but let's get, let's get back to music that really mattered. And it spoke to me. Big city, turn me loose and make me free. Merle Haggard, right? Big city, the album. It's got a song called like a snowball rolling downhill. Are we, you know, have you ever heard this Merle Haggard album? Yeah. He's saying what he believes. He's a Reagan loving motherfucker. Now yeah. I'm a Reagan hating motherfucker, but I like to know where a guy that I admire stands. And he's a fucking great songwriter. And I ended up singing along with those fucking Reagan loving <laughs> songs because he's so fucking good, Mike. But I knew where he stood. You know what I mean? I don't know where Chris Stapleton stands. I don't know where Kenny Chesney stands. I don't know where these fucking people stand. So why do I have to know that? Why because, the fuck do I because have to know that? Because music is supposed his- is more than just entertainment. It's inspiration. It's the culture itself. If it weren't for the Beatles and Little Richard and Chuck Berry it's and It's also Bob what grabs your soul and makes you feel sad, happy. It doesn't necessarily have to shock. I'm not. I'm not saying shock. Merle Haggard didn't shock me. I knew he was a, a Reagan lover. But to know, to have him explain it to me in songs, right? For example, I like watching uh, Clint Eastwood's movies, but everybody hates him because he's such a conservative right winger. That's nowadays. But 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 I'll give you an example. You know, one of my favorite Merle Haggard songs is Free Bubble Up and Eating That Free Rainbow Bubble Stew, Stew, right? Yeah. That song is about liberals. This pie in the sky, liberals think everybody's going to drink that free bubble up and eating that rainbow stew, right? He's making fun of Democrats and liberals. We're all naive and stupid and think everybody's going to be drinking that free bubble up and eating that rainbow stew. Guess who went to Anaheim Stadium and sang along with that song when that album came out? Me. Because that's a fucking great song, and it makes me think about my liberalism. I really do think we're all going to be drinking that free bubble up and eating that rainbow stew. So that's, that's an artist who's challenging people, right? And, and you know, Willie's, Willie's pot advocacy. Just let me tell you something. He's been a pot advocate long before it was popular to be a pot advocate. He knew that it might alienate parts of his mainstream audience. And he was like, you know what? I smoke weed every day. I don't give a fuck what they think. Right? That's courage. Do you think Jeff Sessions doesn't like Willie Nelson because he smokes (laughs) weed? No, Jeff Sessions puts some Willie on and hears that stuff about weed and just goes, God damn it, it's Willie. 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what? He did. He did sacrifice a lot because he did. It did kind of take him out of the mainstream audience and made him more of a a guy you could catch at at, at yeah. smaller shows. It did take him out of that. Back, uh, but he was willing to do it. He was willing yeah, to step back because that's who I am. Right. He's willing to make that sacrifice. You know, I went to Desert Trip and it was shocking that culturally what Desert Trip was because you had mostly rich baby boomers. I, uh, a, a huge, I could tell just from being there, huge contingent of the new angry Trumpers. You could just tell. You could, I can tell by the way they dress. You know what I mean? So, so here's Neil Young, whose whole thing was like, fuck this motherfucker. And giving in, in between songs banter against Trump and against the government and, and hippie, you know, telling his hippie truth to 100, 150,000 people of which I'm, I'm just, I'm just conservatively saying at least 50,000 of them were Trump loving motherfuckers. Were, were they like Dave Chappelle calls the tiki torch whites? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but they're not bad people. I know them. They're from my family and people tiki I know. Torch whites. But, but. There was a celebration of music that went beyond that Trump anger. You didn't say you didn't see people storming out. Fuck Neil Young. They're like, I knew when I came here, fucking hippie boy was gonna be playing, yeah. <laughs> right? And he went into this strangest pitch, and I I know he's probably stoned. I, it just seemed like it. He went into a strange pitch about about seeds. Did you hear about it, Mike? No. He went into this 10-minute rant about it's illegal to have seeds and move them from county to county in the United States. It was like the weirdest rant. You got, the, you got an audience of the world right now, you know, streaming worldwide, 150,000 people sitting here, and you want to talk about seeds. Hyper-focus on... <laughs> What is I it? didn't even get it what he was talking about. I'm a pretty informed citizen. I was like, yeah, I get it. So you can't take seeds that for apples that are that are created by Dow Chemical that are only supposed to be in Northern California. You can't take them to Arizona. It's illegal or something. And so then he took out a bunch of seeds and was throwing seeds out to the audience. That what a rebel. Illegal to do. I was like, dude, we might even be on the verge of nuclear war and you want to talk about seeds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. but it just you know i just hope that that some new artists come along that are courageous and brave um and i hope they don't die like no kidding right and and think of these hundreds of thousands of kids that died maybe the next kurt cobain was there maybe the next eminem was there maybe the next dr dre was there we don't know we'll never know i think that's really well said see you later all right people Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you the call. <laughs>